scripture this morning is Colossians 3, 1 to 11. So if you've been raised, so if you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things that are above, not on the things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ and God. When Christ, who is your life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. <clears throat> Put to death, therefore, whatever, is in, whatever in you is earthly, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming on those who are disobedient. These are the ways you also once followed when you were living that life. But now you must get rid of all such things, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and abusive language from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have stripped off the old self with its practices and have clothed yourselves with the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge according to the image of its creator. In that renewal, there was no longer Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, enslaved and free, but Christ is all and in all. Let's pray. Lord, plant the words of life into our hearts. May they germinate and grow and bear fruit for ourselves, for the people around us, our neighborhoods, communities, for the world. In Christ's name we pray, amen. After the sermon, I invite you to take a few minutes with me of just some quiet reflection. We have been looking at Christian communities throughout history uh, from the very beginning, and we're going to be catching up eventually to now, present day. And one of the uncomfortable truths of doing this for a period of about 2,000 years is that we have to reckon with the fact that a lot of these Christians might look at us now and consider us apostates. We don't celebrate Mass in Latin. Uh, your, your, your priest is not celibate. I am monogamous. Um, uh, there's a lot of things that we do different than some of these communities have done. And we have to reckon with the fact that one of the things that drove Christianity and was part of its spreading and, and coming all the way to North America and coming into our lives, what, one, of the, one of the factors at play, um, you know, we call it things like Protestantism or even plurality, but it's apostasy apostasy it's 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 uh, what many would call in a betrayal of the faith this this idea of betrayal takes me back to Acts 10 and uh, you may remember this story there's a centurion and the centurion has a dream where he's supposed to call Simon Peter from a town called Joppa and he's staying with another Simon, who's a tanner, and, and he's supposed to call Peter to come to him in Caesarea. 
And so the centurion has some people to go find Peter. And meanwhile, Peter has this crazy dream. And in this crazy dream, he um, uh, essentially, God tells him that the things he thought were unclean are, are actually clean. This is, this is the definition of apostasy at the time. For Peter to have this opinion that, that um, you know, you can eat hoofed animals, for instance, and, and uncircumcised people can be part of the faith, this is apostasy. But Peter has this dream. Next thing you know, he's got friends uh, of the centurion calling him to Caesarea. He goes to Caesarea and preaches the gospel. All these people get saved, and he says, what's to prevent me from baptizing and he gets a lot of flack for it. But the gospel spread. And it stretched out. And it went beyond what anybody could imagine. Even through something like apostasy. And here we are. Protestants. Like I said, there's a lot of things that we do different. And so how do we count for this? How do we understand what this is about? And I want to be clear that when I'm talking about apostasy, um, I'm not really saying that uh, we have abandoned the sort of essentials of the faith, the things like, you know, what we believe about the Trinity or, or what we believe about the Bible or, um, or the church. I'm, I'm not saying that we have the kind of apostasy where we abandon these things. What I mean is that sometimes what happens is the way we think about God gets very, very tangled up in some important convictions we have about the world. And those, those convictions might be very important. You know, it might be very important to a Jew to be circumcised. But at the end of the day, it's not the gospel. And sometimes we intermingle the gospel with some things that we hold dear, and they need to have a time when they're separated and pulled out. And sometimes... We associate the gospel with having everything right, with being strong, with being perfect, with being righteous, with having it all together. And what we discover is that God is using the weak, the foolish, and the apostates to further the kingdom. Uh, this is depicted very well in a novel by Shisaku Endo, Endo called Silence. And the novel Silence is a classic. It was written in the 60s, 1960s. Um, and it's rooted in historical fact. The historical fact of the spread of Christianity in Japan. And so that's the community I want to talk about this morning. And I, I, I've sort of set it up for us and, because we can't understand the story of Christianity in Japan without understanding what it means to have apostasy in the church. So briefly, let me tell you a little bit about this because, I mean, honestly, I, I knew next to nothing before I got into this, and I, I think most people don't, but I think it's essential to know. Christianity came to Japan in about the 16th century, so the end of the 1500s. Japan was considered the ends of the earth. You may have remembered Jesus at one point said, I'm going to send you out. And, and you're going you're gonna to share the gospel even to the ends of the earth. And so 1,600 years later, Christians were saying, the gospel is really spreading. Now, where, where's the end? You know, where's the part of the map where the, 
where the water just sort of falls off. You know, where are the dragons? You know, so so and that was Japan. That was Japan. And so they would they would have these harrowing, the missionaries would come from Italy and Portugal and, and they would have these harrowing ship voyages around the um, around Africa, even around India, and then up the coast. I guess for you it's this way. And uh, and eventually they'd get to Japan. Lots of missionaries didn't even survive the journey. In the beginning, when the gospel first came to Japan, there was a lot of growth. Japan was a brutal, brutal place. Um, socially stratified, um, um, the vast majority of the population was kept into poverty, taxed severely, they were farmers, and they had barely enough to live on and farm, um, and then they were brutalized by the samurai, which were basically the, um, the military force of the time. Just brutalized. Um, to, to stay in line, and they were they were the they were the um, oppressed backbone of the society, uh, and so when Christianity came, the missionaries came to these people in destitute poverty, and it preached dignity, it preached hope, it preached the value of being human, that that God would die for them, and so you know th this was brand new. They were treated like animals, they were treated like beasts, and so they accepted the gospel, and and there's some question about problems with translation and things like that, but, but the gospel began to flourish. Hundreds of thousands were saved in those early years. Japan started getting nervous about this, um, the people in power, the ruling people, and not just because Christianity was flourishing, but so was European values. Um, because it wasn't just Christianity that was getting spread. It was... Um, Portuguese values, Italian values, things like that. Trade was increasing. Japan was starting to feel threatened. And so one of the most brutal periods of persecution that the church has ever faced was, was undertaken in Japan for about 250 years. In the beginning, it was the most brutal. We're talking about tens of thousands of people tortured and killed for being Christian. I, we have no sense of this. And I, I, I don't even, I, after, after reading about all of this, I almost never want to use the pers word persecution again. Because we just have no sense of what that's like uh, compared to what they did. It wasn't just that they were tortured and killed for being Christians, it's that they were also traumatized by being forced to, um, uh, to, to literally apostatize. So, so what would happen is, is they would take something called a fumier, which was a, a brass plaque with an image of Jesus on it. And then they would have it on a piece of wood and they would put it on the ground and they would force somebody to step on it. And if they didn't step on it, they were jailed and eventually killed. And if they did step on it, they were allowed to go free. Not always, but sometimes, most of the time, they were allowed to go back and, and farm in poverty and destitution. And they were forced to do this every year. And Japan knew that they were Christians. They said, oh, this is just a formality, but we want you to do it every year. So they were spiritually traumatized on top of everything else going on. And they were forced to do this every year for 250 years. And yet Christianity remained in Japan. It held on. Secret communities of Christians holding on to practices and prayers that they were taught. Um, 
for centuries. Uh, we do need to consider this time of persecution. It ended in the, approximately the 1850s, but there is still persecution going on today in the world. And by some accounts, um, just numerically, there are more Christians persecuted today than ever. Um, we have a lot to be thankful for. Uh, the, the freedom to worship uh, should not be taken for granted. And you know, you come away from this feeling in a sense that you owe these Christians something for their faithfulness. I've, I feel that way. But what I want to reckon with this morning is, is the idea that these Christians were forced to apostatize. And this is what Endo reckons with in his, in his novel, Silence. And I, I strongly recommend you read it. Um, and then I also recommend you see the film. Um, came out in 2016, Martin Scorsese. It is not for the faint of heart. It depicts the persecution. Um, um, but it, it's, it, it's almost exactly the book. Um, he's, he's extremely faithful to the book. Um, but I, I would recommend both. Endo considers that at the early part of the persecution, there were some priests who apostatized. Not just, um, not just Japanese, but some of the Italian and Portuguese priests apostatized. And he bases his main character off of an Italian priest who is said to have apostatized. Um, and so his main character is a Portuguese priest who does so. And the, the question at the heart of the novel is, how does Christianity go from Europe, where it thrived and it grew and it was, it was fruitful and it spread everywhere, how does a Portuguese missionary take that gospel and plant it in Japan, a completely different place? What, one of the things that Endo makes clear is that when you do that, you inevitably transplant some of the stuff from Europe. You inevitably transplant some of the stuff from Portugal. Um, and in fact, the Portuguese government was perfectly happy with this. Trade was going up. It was actually a great deal. And Japan saw this happening, and that's what Japan was upset about. That particular problem was, hey, look, we're not you. We're not Europe. We're not Portugal. Um, and we don't want you coming here and importing that. But on the other hand, what Endo presents is that um, Japan's persecution ignored the reasons why Christianity was taking hold there. The truth of it was that the people could see that the gospel was liberating. The people could see that the gospel was changing their lives. The people could see that um, God loved them and that the gospel could grow in Japan in that, in that difficult soil. But Endo does more than bring this kind of tension into, into play, and there's a, there's a great moment in the book, um, which is well depicted in the, depicted in the film, where um, the Inquisitor looks at the um, Portuguese father and says, um, you just don't understand Japan. You just got here. You don't understand us and our people. And that's not love. And he's right. But on the other hand, the Portuguese missionary says, but you don't understand the gospel. You don't understand the love of Christ. And he was right about that too. 
Endo does more than just set up this tension, but like a good novel, he sets it up really well. He, he pushes even further to help us see the possibility of renewal um, in spite of all this. What, what could happen? Can, how could the gospel flourish in a difficult situation like this? And it comes as the main character, this, this, this devoted missionary who has given his life to this moment of going to Japan, and he is ready to die. He is absolutely ready to give his life and he'll face whatever torture they throw at him. But what he cannot handle is that um, the Japanese authorities force others to suffer and not him until he apostatizes. And that's what he cannot handle. And so he looks down at the brass plaque, the fumier, he looks at the brass plaque, he sees the face of Jesus, and he sees Jesus saying, trample, trample. This is why I came, to be trampled by men, to be trampled by people. It was why I came. Do not let those people suffer. It's a very powerful moment, but of course it breaks the missionary. All of his glorious you know, ideas about converting the whole nation of Japan are gone, poof. He's given a Japanese identity. He's given a Japanese family. He goes to work for the customs, sorting through objects, making sure that there's no Christian things coming in. And so he's just ruined. And then one of his best friends ends up being a guy that he despised. In fact, it was the man who betrayed him to the authorities. His name is Kichijuro. And Kichijuro comes to him at the end and he says, Father, once again, please, can you forgive my sins? Can I, can I confess to you? And he says, I, I'm not a priest anymore. And he says, please, let's do it one last time. And he looks down at Kichijuro and he realizes, this is it. This is true faithfulness. It's not in the glorious ascent. It's not in the glory of me or the glory of somebody else. It's in Christ's constant willingness to forgive and to forgive and to forgive anyone who comes to him. Even the apostate priest and even this drunk derelict Kichijuro. And quietly and secretly, they develop a little Christian community and, and Endo portrays this really, really well. Um, they, they form this tiny little community that keeps everything secret from the authorities, but practices Christian faithfulness in spite of everything. As I said, Christianity did last in Japan for those 250 years. And there's Christians today, they're called the hidden Christians, and they don't need to be hidden anymore. But they hung on for so long that they've kept some of the practices, they still pray in Portuguese. Uh, it's an amazing, amazing community of Christians that endured through that time. But they're not pure. You know, they don't do everything right. They don't have, they don't have all their ducks in a row like they should. You know, um, they had so long of, of, of hiding images of Christ that, that the images they use are these cryptic sort of Buddhist slash Christian images and it's just because they they had to make them look buddhist so they wouldn't get found out but it's the picture of mary and jesus but it looks like a buddha you know, things like that um the gospel endured with them 
in their presence, despite everything. Endo offers us this. It's not the official, triumphant, heroic kind of Christianity that thrives, the glorious marching on that we all want to do, but it also isn't some kind of jumble or mishmash of a little bit of this and a little bit of that. It's a faith that's rooted in Christ, actually. Christ who was trampled for our sakes. Jesus who came to be stepped on by sinners, by apostates, by the weak, in order to forgive them all and to shame the strong. Ultimately, neither the brutal inquisitors nor the glorious magisterium of Europe were any match for the quiet devotion of ordinary, fallible human beings who kept the faith through all those years and remain today. Paul says to the Colossians, there is neither Jew nor Greek, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and in all. The more we die to all those other attachments that we have, the more we confess our pride and our vanity, our self-confidence, the more we admit our brokenness, the more Christ's light shines through, like shining through a cracked vessel. I'm honored to witness something like this right now. I, I do it from time to time, part of my work is to be with people in the last days and hours of their journey of life and it is a great honor and i'm walking with through someone like that right now through stella and stella's time stella's time is finally coming to an end it's been a long long journey for her um mitch was telling me yesterday that we've actually been here three times before where he's had to call people and say this is it um and then uh, Stella uh, surprises us all, which is which is what she does. Um, but this time it it does seem to be um, the final days. And there's a silent sermon being preached right now by Stella. The sermon is this. It, it seems like the end because she's nearing death. She's becoming weaker and weaker. But something else is happening. The weaker she gets, the more Christ is filling her. At one point, something will happen. The doctors are probably going to call it death. But others will see something else. Others will see a new birth. Others will see light. Others will see Christ's love filling all, being in all, through all. God is speaking like a voice in silence through Stella, through weakness, through suffering. That is how the gospel spreads. That is how it's planted and grows. Always ever through the foolishness and weakness of us and Christ's love. I wonder if in the silence of your life, 
moments when you're looking for God, if God is actually speaking to you. I wonder if God is calling you to invite him into your shame, your own weakness, your fear and your failures. It was exactly for this that he came and died. He loves you very much. Amen. May the peace of Christ go with you wherever he may send you. May he guide you through the wilderness and protect you through the storm. May he bring you home rejoicing at the wonders he has shown you. And may he bring you home rejoicing once again into these doors. Amen. Amen. Go in peace.